The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're webcasting to you live from the Center for Autism and Related Disorders headquarters in Tarzana, California. If I seem excited, it's because I am. This is a wonderful Wednesday, and on Wednesdays, we have such treats for you. First, we start with Dr. Doreen Grampachet. She is here to answer your questions live during Ask Dr. Doreen. And then in the second half of the show, uh, we do Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot Jackson will be here with me. And we have a tremendous inspirational guest during Feel Good February, Alex Hale, who has been on something called My Impossible Dream. That's what he calls it. He wants to be a singer and a performer. And let me just tell you, he is one inspirational young man. He just got to open for James Durbin the other day. He is making his impossible dream a reality. Uh, so I can't wait for you to hear what Alex has to say about being on the spectrum. That'll be in the second hour. But first, we'll be as I said, with Dr. Doreen Grampachet, she's going to be answering your questions. Some of you have already been writing in your questions. You know I love that when you interact with us because this entire program is meant to be interactive. Emily's going to cycle through some of the different ways that you get, can get in touch with us while I remind you that... Our homepage is autism-live.com. When you go there, there's many things that you can do on that page. You can click on the blog link, but there's also a computer screen there. If you click on the little triangle that's there, you can be watching the live show or the most recently recorded live show. Now to the side of that is a long skinny white box. Put your cursor there. You don't have to log in. There is no cost. There is nothing where you need to verify who you are. There's no club that you need to belong to. Just put your cursor there type away, hit enter. It takes a minute or so for it to wind its way through the universe to get here to us, but we really can be talking to you in almost real time. And again, it's free and it's anonymous. The good news about that is you can ask whatever you want. If you do want us to get back to you with personal information, you will have to give us some contact information though, and I make sure that we don't share that with the public at large. So I hope that you will participate with us because right now it's time for Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is the Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet. Dr. Doreen Grandpichet is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen. We also want to welcome Dr. Doreen Grandpachet. Good morning. We love Wednesdays because it's a great opportunity to talk with you and to be able to pick your brain. You Thank are, of you. course... It's a, fun, it's a fun day for me. It, it's fun for us, too. And 
We should say for people who are just joining us, Dr. Grandpache is a true expert in the field of autism. Multiple decades working with all kinds of individuals on the spectrum, young children, children that are teenagers and adults as well. She really is a visionary in the field of autism. Thank you, Sharon. I appreciate it. Yeah, I've been in the field for a very long time and have learned a lot from our kids and our families. Yes, sure. and, and we appreciate you. Thank you. So much. And, and we like to start the show by reminding all of you that no one on the show can give child-specific advice including Dr. Grandpache. There's a specific reason for that. There, there's no way in this format that she could get, even with all of her expertise and all of her uh, being the visionary that she is, <clears throat> you still can't give her enough information in this format for her to give child-specific advice. Right. It would just be unethical if I attempted to give very specific advice. So. But having said that, you say things that <clears throat> spark in all of us uh, more questions, which frequently lead us down a path to resources that are able to help us and help our kids. Right. Well, hopefully it'll just um, give some direction and perhaps uh, food for thought. Yeah, absolutely. We have so many questions. It's almost like I don't know where to start today because oh, okay. uh, it's pretty exciting. So I I'm going to start with uh, one that just came in that's kind of fun. Um, or at least it will lead us to fun things. Let's say that. Uh, they want to know, do you have any suggestions for fun games to play to help with socialization? My son is four and a half years old and loves to play with certain people, all adults, mm -hmm. but still needs a lot of help in this situation. I, I <clears throat> thought if there are some games I could play when his cousins are here that we can get some practice in. And they, want, they go on to say, is there a reason that some of these kids love to play with mom, dad, and a few other folks, but don't initiate with other kids? When we play, he loves it. He's so animated and loves to role play and act out characters and animals. Thanks again. And they continue to write, we try to watch the show as much as we can. And she says, I do learn so much. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, so to answer your the last part of your question first, mm -hmm. yeah, it's actually, if you were to, if you were able to, videotape yourself playing with your child you'd see how different adults are than other children like it's pretty amazing how we don't even realize especially when it's our own kids we're constantly um, you know you're very uh, patient rewarding um, you know you give up your own turn sometimes perhaps like there's a lot of things that you do that are that another child wouldn't do mm -hmm. and so it's a very very different experience for our kids to to play with adults versus other children even to, to communicate or talk with other adults because the adult is usually watching out for the child so yeah. that makes a big difference now in terms of games you know I wouldn't there's so many games and because I don't know the really where your child is at the way that we approach well, first, I mean, gosh, I don't even know. There's, it's such a big scope of stuff, you know, amount of stuff I want to say to answer this. <laughs> so I think I would recommend that you try to look on our skills program because mm -hmm. there's, there's a whole series of uh, things that you would teach that are just basic games. So play, that's in our play curriculum. And that will change based on your child's age, interests, gender, functioning level, all of that. So. For instance, he's, I think you said it's a boy and he's four boy, and a half. Four and a half, yeah. So, you know, where he should be is probably at this point, not too many boys at four and a half are doing like board games. They're more likely doing physical type activity. But then again, depending on where you live and perhaps the other kids that are around him that might differ, you will have, I think already at four and a half, some entrance into the computer world. 
so some of the kids will be doing things like basic Minecraft and so on. Yeah. Um, you'll have a lot of app type games right now it's four and a half so a lot of kids will be doing you know I don't know what are flappy birds and all these new things that are yeah. they're doing a lot of that so you would want to make sure your child also can do those and then put the language that's appropriate to that mm -hmm. now what we tend to do as parents is we keep thinking oh you know I should pull out the shoots and ladders and like let's start doing those things kids don't play those games anymore like it has changed a lot yeah. and what you want to do is you really want to observe and see what the friends or the ki the peers, not even the friends, the peers are doing, mm -hmm. what their interests are, and then you really want to teach your child those things. Our play curriculum goes kind of by age level mm -hmm. and gives you a variety of things to do at each age. And, you know, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I do think that at four you're more or less boys especially doing a lot of outside type physical activity mm -hmm. if your boy is one of those yeah. I mean some boys don't like physical activity my son never did so and they prefer to do more like coloring drawing whatever but you really want to see what the peers are doing instead of just like going out and buying games that say oh this will enhance social activity um, a lot of studies show that if an if the child has an object of interest so for instance well, well, nowadays every it's ridiculous how many kids actually have phones at a very young age but so if the child comes over if other kids come over for instance and you have uh, you know a cool let's say we uh, set up or um, you know Xbox setup or uh, just even computer games or something like that those t items like that will tend to promote a lot of language between kids if it's done correctly so that's why i said you need to kind of look through the play curriculum because there's a lot of language that needs to be taught prior to actually trying to get the child into interaction with other kids you said the parents said that the child um, is very animated and, and all this with with adults make sure that his animation and reaction is what other kids would find normal because what happens a lot of times with other kids and you really want to avoid this is um they will what, what you might as an adult find you know this is okay it's acceptable <clears throat> or let's say it's improvement from where he was before other children might still find it funny and like or awkward and they might mock your child and then that will put things back a, a lot and you don't want to expose your child to that sort of thing so if there's any kind of behavior that might be considered you know awkward by other kids you want to work on teaching your child first what other things with other kids would think about that why they would think that's awkward maybe videotape it show it to him make sure he understands other people's perspectives like there's a lot of precursor stuff that needs to happen so that a, a social interaction is is appropriate you know or like language or when you say animated does he know how to not be animated does he know how to calm down and let others be animated as well or or does he have to be the in the spotlight does he know how to take turns does he know how to lose like there's a lot of stuff like that that you need to make sure you deal with before exposing him to other kids all great advice I you know I think uh, I'm a game connoisseur I love games excellent and good we, and we have a closet full of games because I just buy them constantly I do too and uh, I have to force my kids to play 
than what's Well, there. and that was sort of my point that as I was listening to you talk, you know, I, I wish I'd heard you say this a couple of years ago because I wouldn't have bought all those games uh -oh. because what actually worked <clears throat> was when I was at somebody else's house seeing what their kids played with mm -hmm. and what my son was interested in right. when we were at their house and I could have just bought those games and sometimes they were games that not necessarily even things that you had to buy that's true you know Absolutely. sometimes it was just you know doing something a game on paper yeah um, we went to one house and they were doing a treasure hunt thing yeah where they were in two teams fabulous. and there is a treasure hunt game in skills yep. in yep. fact um, you know and and that was like probably the most social thing and it didn't cost anything it was just some ripped right. up pieces of paper in two teams right um, but we needed to work on it with my son and so that he could fully implement when when he went to their house again Absolutely. but and then there were some other games um, that I remember when he was around four and a half that he absolutely loved that you can't necessarily get now you have to go to garage sales and get that's true um, but the two that I remember that were really successful with gem that were very social uh, hullabaloo Oh, which yes. is a cranium game and it comes in lots of different kinds of uh, incarnations but there's there's one that's a disc that you put in a DVD player and the kids all play it's sort of like a younger version of Twister but they get to role play oh great, great. and now and there are, you have these little mats that you put down on the floor and this host comes on like a TV show and he says okay everybody act like you're an elephant oh yeah and, perfect. and there are kids on the screen who are elephants too and then they'll play the music and they'll say everyone get on a red square see that's perfect Perfect. And the red squares, you can put them in different places, and then they and he says, "Now look down. Does your red square have a crab on it? That's You're awesome. the winner." Yeah. Um, but I think you have to get that at a garage sale or on eBay. Because you now. can't find it anymore. Right. But you know, on on that, don't forget your second game. Mm -hmm. But that is so important because now I remember. I was trying to remember what did Sonny do when he was four and a half uh -huh. or five. And a lot of the kids are actually into a lot of musical type stuff mm -hmm. too, boys too. Yeah. So like you know, and like uh, that sort of TV show activity or yeah. music and so on. Like I think he was into the what was that Australian group um, Wiggles. Oh, the Wiggles. Yeah, yeah, I think that was. And there's a lot of play uh, um, dress up play yes. at that age too. Oh, so yeah. being firemen and doing you know. This and is, that's all in the socio dramatic section it is, it of is. skills. That's you right. You can find uh, great lessons in there. The other game that I was thinking about is a game called Jam Pack, mm -hmm. and it's a car. So the boys were really interested in it. it has and it's a great EF game too okay. because it comes with all these little pieces, and there's a timer. And you have to try to jam all the pieces into the car and get more pieces into the car before the timer goes off. And when the timer goes off, the car, the, it, 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 like, explodes. Okay, cool. The back end opens and you can't stuff any more stuff in. Right. So you'd have to think about, okay, I have a rug and there's a little suitcase. And if you put the rug inside the suitcase, it didn't take up as much space. Oh, see, so very oh, so EF. Planning. Planning. planning involved. Spatial very planning. Nice. And, but it had that fun element that it was a kind of a big car. Right. Looked like sort of a Barbie van exactly. and the back would open up and you could jam stuff in. My mother loved to play it with Jen. They would just laugh themselves sick. But whenever there were kids who would come around, there would be a big discussion about don't put that in, put this in. Yeah, and they, they would be argue. talking to each other <laughs> about it. And you can play on teams. But again, 
you know, I don't think you can find it anymore, but a lot of times you can find stuff like that on eBay. It's a really fun, fun Yeah. Thing. I mean, I think it's just, and there's a lot of games that will evoke language, yeah. you know, a lot of language like descriptive type games, you know, like name game or 20 questions. One of the yeah. things my kids still love, and I think they loved all the way back then, were these little, they have them everywhere, Target, $12, you know, where you, uh, you can't stump it. The, so 20, like yeah, the 20, 20 questions. 20 questions, uh, yeah, yeah 20, 21 or 20 questions. Yes. Whatever, and you'll you'll think of something, and that's almost like the describe program lesson. Yes. You know, so you think of something, and it asks you questions about it. Yes, and you have to answer the questions, and the machine has to figure out what it is. And, and it it's spectacular. It is fun because it causes it forces you. I love it for our kids, but your your kid is probably too young for this. I wish they'd make a very childlike version of it, you know, because, or you could do, we used to play it just on paper, yeah. right? I mean, so you just write something down and other people would ask questions until yeah. they figured it out. Well, you could play it with them. If you sat and held it and and, and read the question to them, if they're a pre-reader, you could play it with them. Yeah, yeah. Except these, like, you don't want difficult categories. You yeah. know, a four-year-old won't know, like, is it made of wood or stone or whatever. Right, you know, right, right. Stuff. So, and then at parties, of course, I remember our kids just doing a lot of outdoor type, you know, like what are those where you tie their legs together and they have to race. Right, the three-legged race. So I think four and a half boys, I don't know, I mean, I think it's much more active still yeah. than anything. I agree. So, you know, there's a lot of feedback right there, but you will find a lot of feedback also and a lot of advice and guidance on the play yeah. curriculum as well as the social curriculum of skills. Absolutely. I will say, when he's a little bit older, too, one of the big popular games with Jem and his friends, and they play it in his, uh, he, he still has a one day a week, um, they call it Lunch Bunch, where he gets together with a group of kids with a, a speech language pathologist, nice. and they play games during lunch, and it's an opportunity for him to work on social interaction with them and cool. social language. Uh, and one of the big popular games they play is Apples to Apples. Have you played that yeah. one? It's yeah. a very fun yeah. game because you have to look at language in lots of different ways. Right. But that's a little bit older than four and a half. Right. You've got to have right. some more skills. I would say at least uh, second seven grade. Seven or something. Yeah. Or even second grade. So yeah. older maybe. Well, what is that? Like eight, six, seven? Eight, seven, oh. eight. Yeah. Okay. I, I can never remember what grade what yeah. equals what age. In any case, so hopefully some good ideas and some good information about why they're playing so well with adults and, and hard to initiate. And, and and also one more thing, the thing that I was always told, find Jem a play date with a bossy girl. Yeah. So I that was, then he didn't have to initiate. Yeah. yeah, that was something I learned very early on. Like I, I think I don't even remember, but back, you know, God knows when, I remember like, I think it was even when I was writing up my dissertation or something, because I was in preschools for over a year. I was in schools just observing kids and trying, because I was designing a new scale to measure social skills in kids. And I was just observing and noticing that, like, the best playmates are the slightly older, maybe one or two years older girls yeah. that are just like, they don't care if you speak, don't speak, can attend, they don't care. They just want you to follow them around and That's do right. whatever they want you to do, you know, so they're awesome older girls. So 
Uh, yeah, I always start out with, if possible, you want to start out with an older girl, like maybe one or two years older, and, the, and especially a bossy yeah. teacher type girl, and that'll be awesome. The and, bossy gut. Right. That's what we always call them, the bossy gut. The That's girl the who's going to tell you, no, stand over here and do this. Yeah. And is I told you it. not to leave. Right. You have to. <laughs> right. and, they'll, and they'll order them around, and that can be good for a while. Right. Uh, okay, next question. Uh, we've had a lot of questions from different people about treating younger kids and how young. So uh, this is another one. Hi, Dr. Doreen and Shannon. I had my kids assessed by CARD in September. One of my sons has the big A, so he started with CARD in October 40-hour program. Yay for you. Now my 17-month-old tested really good but had no speech, so CARD told me to contact regional centers since he is under two. I started him with regional center. He is receiving one hour of OT and one hour of speech. Lately, he has been displaying behaviors such as throwing him himself on the floor, Ugh. lining up strollers, tantruming over everything. He points and is very social, but speech is still an issue. I spoke to his caseworker to try to get him behavioral therapy. She said they would have to wait until 30 months to do a psych evaluation. Personally, I'm afraid to wait that long to see if he will regress into something else. What can I do? I have private insurance. Does CARD take kids younger than two? Please help. Thanks and God bless. <clears throat> yeah, we will. So that just, I have many reactions to that, that question. So the first thing is, of course, please bring your child and we will start with your child. Absolutely, we love to start the younger, the better. Right now, I just, I've started kids as early as nine months. Okay. Just to tell you, if I see symptoms that concern me that are unusual, then I'm going to start. And it's going to be much different, much more playful, much more, um, I guess, uh, uh, less. It depends, actually. It depends. You know, I just started one of our kids who's uh, 17 months, who is a younger sibling, mm -hmm. and it's much more structured. So um, it depends on the child, and you can structure it as much as you want, as we want, and we will. And um, the skills that we teach will be mainly compliance, beginning language. Um, so in other words, we start to teach the child not to tantrum or get upset, but rather to use words or some form of communication. I mean, at this, I think this child is 17 months as well. Well, they were 17 months in September. Oh, okay. So even older. We're starting definitely your okay. past two by the way what the regional center told you is an absolute lie I wish I could have just kill the people who say these things I really they don't understand how much they're damaging families out there it just it just this makes me so angry you know uh, so the regional center is obligated to actually pay for everything and anything you need before the age of three. They are supposed to be doing that. Part of the reason is that they don't do that is because they're trying to actually delay things until your child hits three, and that just kills me. So, you know, they're supposed to pay for everything, but at this point, who cares? If you have insurance, uh, if you have insurance, first of all, then the regional center isn't really obligated to pay for anything because they are the last... Uh, pay source in California. So uh, why don't we, why don't you contact us again and let's get things started and um, where are you? W w what office are you? Maybe you can write back in so I can keep an eye on it and make yeah. sure that we start you right away. 
Um, I don't want any delays for you. You have two now you're dealing with. We're going to make a lot of exceptions for you and just make sure you're taken care of. We, um, our younger kids are much easier to staff to because they're not in school. Right. So we have morning therapists available pretty much all the time. So let me know where you are. Perhaps you can write okay. back in and then I will make sure to email the, the whoever's in charge of that office. So if you're still watching, because I know you just wrote that in recently, so write and tell us which office and we'll, we'll be, and, and you know what, why don't you send your email so that we can be in contact. Take care of you, yeah. Okay, great. I think we should take a break. Sure. Um, and then we'll be back with more of your questions after these messages. Hi, welcome to Camp Discovery, a free-to-play suite of fun, interactive learning games for kids two and up, designed by experts in autism. Camp Discovery will open your early learner to a world of new skills, shapes, numbers, colors, locations, emotions, and more. Let's get started. Please choose a level. Objects. First, Camp Discovery's Intelligent Preference Assessment determines your child's preferred reward for choosing correctly. Okay, got it! Let's play! Camp Discovery creates a motivating learning environment for your child by minimizing incorrect responses and maximizing successful ones. Find the shoes. Respond correctly and your child is rewarded with their favorite animations. You did it! Respond incorrectly and our unique prompting system guides your child to the correct answer by making it the largest choice. That's not it. Try again. Way to go. Continue to answer correctly and the size gradually reduces until the child makes the correct choice independently. You win. Success. Rewards motivate learning. Complete a round and your child is rewarded with a fun mini game. Track your child's progress with easy to read graphs. Multiple settings options allow you to customize Camp Discovery to your child's unique needs. All this in one single app, the Camp Discovery app, available for free on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Store. Welcome back to Autism Live and to Ask Dr. Doreen. Dr. Doreen Grampache is here with us in the studio answering your questions live. We had, uh, this entire week our subject is love because mm -hmm. it's Valentine's Day oh, week. Oh yeah, sure. So we specifically asked on the Facebook page today, did anybody have any questions about love? And somebody wrote in and sent us a beautiful picture of a lovely, lovely, beautiful girl. Right. And she writes in and says, how do I teach my daughter to love herself? I know she's beautiful and I don't know if she understands her true beauty and that She's is a beautiful, beautiful young yeah. woman. Gosh, you know, I wish uh, I could answer that. A lot of young girls, I guess, uh, have this issue. And I think there's very little, unfortunately, that we as parents can do about it because they are so controlled by media and fashion and the expectations of, you know, what it, or the, the, I guess, the vision of what they think is beauty and success and so on and so forth. It's very, very hard to control that in a lot of ways. So. Uh, unfortunately, what they're exposed to is you have to be, I don't know, a million things. And so um, I guess if you can try to uh, not focus, I, I wouldn't focus too much on the physical aspects. I would just really focus on uh, anything that, um, you know, the trait, the characteristic that differentiates your child. Um, I can think of with my children, the beauty that I see in them is completely different from each other. They're all beautiful kids as well, but physically, but I never really, I mean, I do, I 
daily have all their lives told them how beautiful they are but um, I think what they consider in themselves to be beautiful is different things, you know? Like, I think Nikki's beauty comes from her gentleness, her kindness, and I think she knows that because the entire world tells her how just kind and good she is, you know? And Sonny, I think he knows that his beauty comes from humor, and, and he there isn't a single person in the world who doesn't think he's the funniest guy they've ever met, you know? <laughs> And Charlie, her beauty is from energy and from just like life. She's so full of life. And I think that's what you identify and teach your child to to see because the more they um, associate themselves, I guess, through life with that's the person I am, the more they feel confident in their own skin. And I think that's when you start seeing your own beauty. Absolutely. I, you know? I, I think, and that's something that you guys do at CARD is help to identify the strengths of a child. There's even a lesson about it in skills sure. and self-esteem about identifying what your strong uh, suits are right. and what you need to work on right. and being able to talk about the things that you do well without bragging. There right. are lessons specifically about that in skills, right. which right. I just think are amazing because I, I don't know as a parent that I would have known how to handle that. Right. Uh, but it's so important for our kids. You know, I often say that, like, what our kids tolerate, mm -hmm. like, what, just, just what, they're, what they tolerate. I mean, honestly, they have someone in their face almost all the time trying to tell them what to do or not to do or right. so on and so forth. You know, they're, most of our kids are exposed to sensory stimulation that they don't really like and they tolerate it and put up with it. Food-wise, they don't necessarily have the choices that other kids do and they're exposed to those foods and they can't have them. I mean, our kids tolerate a lot. Yeah. And then and then we, it's so easy for us to just ignore some of their ridiculous strengths. You know, yeah. I, have, I have kids where after years, you know, of being with us, like I've suddenly said, why don't we try to develop this particular skill? And then the child becomes like a incredible pianist or right. something, you know? And so it's very, very important that you identify some of those things for your child, because if they have one thing that sort of differentiates them, stands out from others, that is really the key to having a, a certain level of self-confidence. Absolutely. We actually have a video on YouTube, the first time I interviewed Temple Grandin, where she talks specifically about just this issue, yep. about how to identify in your child uh, and, you know, what it is that you want to bring out that will be their unique talent. And you can find that on our YouTube page. And, and, we're not, and what's important for parents to understand is that these things do not have to be the typical things. Like, they don't have to be like the, you know, not every child is a fabulous musician musician. Right. Uh, not every child is an incredible artist, although a lot of ours are, <laughs> I have to say. Um, I, I honestly will say that the percentage of really talented individuals, music, arts, and so on, in, our, in the spectrum, I think is way higher yeah. than the normal population. I should probably do some sort of study and write that. That would yeah. be very important to identify. But I mean, I think like a lot of our kids have ridiculous mathematical ability. Yeah. No one really taps into that. A lot of our kids have incredible memory. A lot of our kids have, like, you know, one of my kids has taught himself Chinese. I mean, come on, you know, like who does that? Those <laughs> things are incredible. Yeah. So that's what you have to find. Yeah. It's not the, the typical stuff maybe, but it's always yeah. something.
Really incredible. I want to take a turn now. Uh, a parent wrote in, and, and this is a really, uh, oh, breaks my heart. Our eight-year-old son has become more of a recluse, preferring to stay in his room unless it's his video game day or a show he likes that's on. The only exception is when we do crafts together or meals since we only eat at the table. He wants to block the world and hates everyone but family. I understand his need to make his life comfortable, but at a recent appointment, his doctor added anxiety and depression on top of his autism. I wonder if the new diagnoses are basically a part of autism or has his need to isolate caused them along with mood swings. Also, we've run out of ideas to get him out of the room and could really use some advice. Even the few things he doesn't li uh, that he does like now don't entice him, and it's like pulling teeth to get him anywhere near living, uh, leaving the house as well. At eight, yeah, that's, that's just, terrible. it breaks my heart. So I've talked about this a lot before. Um, anxiety is such a big part of what our kids go through. It's not, a, it's not at all uncommon. I actually think a big, larger, a majority of my kids have anxiety issues. It's just not recognized. It's overshadowed more or less with the autism. The, the way that the thing with anxiety is that I think it develops um, just for a number of different reasons. I, and I don't know enough about your child. I would really love to be able to guide you. Uh, maybe you can keep writing in because I really, my heart goes out to our kids that are at that level where they're experiencing anxiety and depression. So the way that I think it develops and it's different is, uh, did we have an age on the child? Eight. Eight. Right. So what happens, so I'm guessing that your child is actually pretty high functioning. I'm just guessing this. Because when our kids become like let's say seven or eight and they're relatively high functioning, um, they start to really, and they've noticed it before, it's not like this is new to them, but they really start to notice other kids and what other kids are able to do that they're not able to do. And, you know, not just notice, but what I'm hearing here is he may have experienced some level of bullying. I don't want to call it bullying, but you know, it is entirely possible that he has had unsuccessful, uh, you know, ventures into social life, let's put it that way. So think of a typically developing kids, Shannon, how hard it is for our kids, like my daughter, you know, who's brilliant in numerous ways, mm -hmm. uh, probably all through first grade didn't talk to a single other child, just stood with the teachers. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I think second grade maybe or that another child finally came and pulled her into the universe of children. And that's just how she is. And it's hard for kids. Not every child can run out there and suddenly become friends with everyone. They're typical children, typically developing kids are shy, they're, they don't know how to handle social environments. Now think how hard it is for our kids where they don't, they can't track many, maybe some of these things that I'm listing will apply to your child. So like they have a very hard time reading social cues. So they don't really, they can't track what's going on around them accurately. They don't know what other kids are 
experiencing or what they're talking about they miss information they will miss language because they don't have as much language they're not as good at certain things as other kids are so they'll they'll fall behind whatever it may be maybe instructions from the teacher it may be understanding a joke it may be whatever a game they don't know and they it's whatever it is they they will experience failure more than our kids the other typical kids will and so our kids will start to automatically just by their environmental experiences be punished for interacting this is a very typical thing that's why you know, a lot of times people ask me, why do I, why is my program, the card program, what does it have all this like pre-development stuff before we put the child in school? Like I will hold kids from school so that I can teach them more language, more social, more attention and so on. Because I don't want them to go into the school setting and get uh, fail. I don't want them to fail. I want them to have a successful experience. And there's very little control once they're in school. And so... You know, hearing this, to me, it sounds like your son has had negative experiences and he hasn't found the kids that will reward him. And, you know, this that's the key, right? So the first friend you have, the second friend, any friend, these are people who are who go back and forth with you and reward each other. How do we reward each other? We agree on things. Um, we share experiences. We, these are how people become friends. And so your child needs that one other person that is going to make him feel a little bit safer, not so alone, not so different. And perhaps he's already had already some bad experiences with school. I don't know. Uh, these are the things you need to find out. You don't worry so much about getting him out of his room, you know. Getting him out of his room should occur naturally if what's outside of his room is rewarding enough. So right now he's isolating. Anxiety, by the way is fear of anything so it's fear of embarrassment fear of failure um fear of being noticed at this point you know and depression is anxiety turned in it's anger that you uh, produce that you turn inside towards yourself so it's kind of like i'm so afraid now i actually don't even want to go out i'm just going to stay in my room and hey this is sad but i don't know what else to do because I feel horrible about myself. And so the best thing you could do is, well, I would do two things, I guess. One is I would try as much as I can to find one other person, one other child. It doesn't even have to be a child. I take that back. It does not have to be a child. It could be an adult who can be your son's buddy. So it is not you. And it is most likely not his father, or I don't know if this is mother or father. Why did I assume it's mother? Anyway, that's <laughs> because interesting. I would say seventy-eight percent of the time it's, it is it's the mother, mom sure, is writing but in. It doesn't but necessarily. it isn't necessarily yeah. right. So it's not mom or dad. It is someone else. And you know, for instance, in in my case with my son, it's you know Greg, my fiance's close friend from college is probably one of Sonny's best friends like they really just non-stop hang out and because they have similar interests and because they do similar things together and that he has impacted Sonny's life probably more than anyone else ever and it's because of the fact that they just you know the the child then starts to feel really really um, connected to another person 
and safe and um, they start to care less about being uh, you know just perfect in their or like about the fact that maybe one one child didn't approve of them or made fun of them or something like that it just gives your child a certain level of strength and they need that strength before they can come out of their room so that's what you need you need someone find what are your child's interests list those mm -hmm. find someone else you could tutor, you can hire a tutor to do this like hire someone if you don't know a cousin or a nephew or something like that but have someone who just comes over hangs out does not try to initiate anything just hangs out maybe does exactly the same thing your son's doing if it's video games i think it was like video games or yes, whatever video game day great is a big they reinforcer. just sit next to each other and do video games they don't even have to talk for a while mm -hmm. few months go by and they're be going to become friends that's mm -hmm. just simple then the two of them you can start taking them out to let's say bowling or outside activities paintball whatever it is mm -hmm then gradually things will change. You cannot, I mean, you can behaviorally, obviously you can change any behavior behaviorally and say, yeah, every time you come out of your room, we're gonna reinforce you, but it's never gonna maintain in the natural environment. You want behaviors that are gonna maintain and the maintaining factor to social behavior is social reinforcement. Mm -hmm. So build up that level of, like make your child have the experience of social reinforcement with one other person and they'll become more trusting of the, the universe again. Really remarkable advice. I'm so inspired. It's just so hard with our kids when that sort of thing happens. But it really, I mean, and I don't know, you know, it's just important. Our kids are all different from each other. You yeah. have to find other kids that have similar interests or other individuals that, who have similar interests. Yeah. Yeah. Really remarkable. And and you might find them in the in the most interesting places. Oh, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> Shannon, my son, you know, Sonny, like we, we've been going to Maui every year, a couple times a year since he was a baby. And when we go there, he would never, he'd be like, oh, I want to sleep, you know, typical yeah. teenage boy. <laughs> and this last year was the first time that we took Juan with us, who's uh -huh. his, uh, um, my, Greg's friend, you uh -huh. know, who's good friends with Sonny. And 7 a.m., Sonny was down in the ocean with Juan, you know, it's 10 p.m. they're down in the pool and just like it completely changes him yeah it changes the person we've had Monica Holloway on the show she's the author of Cowboy and Wills and her son Wills is a, a teenager in high school now and she talks about uh, she had a, a caregiver who would come to her house and her the caregiver's son is about six years older than Wills right. and he became that buddy for right. Wills right. and he's somebody that Wills can go to and ask questions right. and and his self-esteem became so much better because he saw himself through that young man's eyes who exactly. always said that he was incredible right. and that it was life-changing so exactly that kind of thing you're talking about so we hope that you can Find identify that, that person. person it might take you a little while but a worthwhile thing to do we're going to take another break and we're going to be back with more questions with Dr. Doreen Grampuche after these messages. Hi, we're here with Temple Grandin, and we're going to be asking her some of your questions that you guys have written into us. First of all, Temple, I want to thank you for being with us here today. No, it's good and to be here. This is a question that I want to know. When you went to the Emmys and you went to all these different events and you were there in your wonderful shirt, was there anybody who tried to talk you into wearing something else or did they just understand that you needed to be who you were? Well, I think being eccentric is just fine. I dressed eccentric at the um, Emmys. Mm -hmm. Eccentric's fine. 
being a filthy slob is not fine. Let's look at the latest Mars rover. You got the Mohawk guy that's ahead of the expedition. You got the Elvis guy that yeah. figured out how to land on the moon and he wears Elvis outfits. I think that's just fine. But you can't be a rude, filthy, dirty slob. That's the thing where draw the line. Eccentric's fine. I remember a guy who was on the spectrum and he taught astronomy at a local college. And he had beautiful astronomy t-shirts and he had long hair with a ponytail this long. And I said to him, don't let anybody cut your ponytail off. You know, wear it with pride, but it must be washed and it must be clean there you and go. neat. Love it. Did they try to talk you into wearing a dress or they... they oh no, would... nobody knew I would wear a dress. <laughs> I, I got too much of a farmer tan and would just look just terrible. I'm, no, you're not going to get me in an evening gown. I did buy some new black pants I'm going to wear okay. tonight. Well, I thought you looked great. Uh, well, I want to let you know about the shirt award of the Emmys. Yeah. That was a Ralph Lauren oh, shirt. Okay, fashion snubs. <laughs> and that was a gift from my sister for Christmas. Welcome back. This is We call this portion of the show Ask Dr. Doreen because Dr. Doreen Grampache is here with us and she is answering your questions in real time. Again, you can be posing your questions on the live feature at autism-live.com. You don't have to do that within the live show. You can be doing that all week long. I keep them uh, in a place so that we can get through as many as possible. So let's. I love this question. Love it. If eight-year-olds who are neurotypical are not necessarily apt in perspective taking, how do we teach it to our age? ASD children. <laughs> I, I want to know how do we teach it to everyone? I, I want to, I, while people are sleeping, I want to run a sub program in their sleep that teaches them perspective taking because our kids' lives would be easier if people would stop and consider what it's like for them. Such a good point. Such a good point, Sean. You're so right. That is so true. Absolutely. I don't know, you know, it's, we, I mean, to answer your question real quickly, we've written every possible way that you can teach perspective taking in our cognition curriculum and skills. Let me tell you, there's a million different ways you can do it. We have outlined all of it. And most of that curriculum does apply to typically developing kids. It's not, this is, when you start teaching perspective taking, you're not really teaching it to kids that are all that different from typically developing kids. Because our kids do get to a point um, where they're very, very similar, they just have a hard time understanding other people's perspectives. Now, let me go beyond the typical eight-year-old and say maybe more than 50% of the adults I know are not that good at perspective taking, maybe more than half. I mean, I haven't really ever, you know, done a head count, but a lot of people have a hard time with perspective taking, a lot of people. And honestly, I think like uh, that is, you know, it is probably the primary reason for most human interactive problems. So in other words, I think like most divorces are because one or the other or both mm -hmm. can't take perspective. Mm -hmm. Most, uh, you know, any kind of abusive relationship or differences in, in, amongst couples or even friends and so on is usually just because we don't understand other people's perspective. So it is something that, as Shannon said, it would be good if many of us had more of it. 
um, but and we do have a lot of different games and so on that you can play with kids that help them teach things as basic as um, you know just blindfold task for instance is one of the ones I really like where you blindfold the individual and have them start telling you how to get from one place to another uh, or the blindfolded person They're, the child's telling the blindfolded person how to get from one place to another it really forces the child to have to see things from that person's perspective. Or comic strips, we lose, use a lot of comic strips, and when someone says something, we then have our child identify what do they actually mean, what are they thinking, how do they feel when they say it, all those types of... There's so many activities listed that I really just recommend you look in the cognition curriculum of skills because just a million things you could do to teach perspective. There's games, there's all kinds of stuff that you can do. I didn't realize until my son was diagnosed with autism and got started to get better mm -hmm. uh, using those same lessons that are in skills, how bad my perspective taking was. <laughs> and he tells me on a regular basis. Does he see? will say to me now, he says, he'll say, Mom, you are not thinking about it from my point of view. I love, that. Not, I love that. You are not thinking about what it's oh like to be me. And, and I said, you oh know, my at, for my... How amazing is that? It's amazing. And for my 2014, my New Year's resolutions, one of the things that I'm working on this year is being better about perspective taking. Yeah, it's really it's good. one of the things that I talk to Alex Plank. I'm driving Alex Plank slightly crazy <laughs> because I ask him all these questions. He's like, why are you even asking me that? That's like a weird question. Why are, and I say, because I'm trying to be better at seeing it from your, your point of view. I, I need to get there before my son is your age and, and he thinks I'm a little you weird, know, but it's and, okay. And I, I sometimes think that I'm really good at perspective. You are. But you know what, Shannon? I'm, I also could be better when it comes to my kids, like for instance with Charlie. I often try to just stop for a minute and see things, or even Sunny, you know, mm -hmm. just see, or Nikki, all of them, anyone. I often think like, oh, oh, you know, I should have thought about that because that's how she's seeing it, you know? And like, there is no end to, I think if we were all really good at perspective taking, like really good, something strange would happen in the world because that is probably one of our last lessons. Yeah. It's, not a, it's, not, it's not an easy thing and it is a very, very critical thing, you know, so that's how to answer your question. And, and as you mentioned, I mean, all, can you imagine, like all of bullying and all of that has to do with perspective taking, Absolutely. right? So it's Absolutely. very important, yeah. But cognitive curriculum and skills, you're going to fail to find all of those lessons there. They're really amazing. And you know, it's interesting you said that, that you didn't realize, like, in yourself. I often think with our kids, like, that we, we sort of notice these things with our children mm -hmm. on the spectrum. We wouldn't otherwise. Like, yeah. if we weren't really doing, you know, really good ABA with our kids, which is essentially identify everything they need to teach, to learn, and then teach that, I don't know that we'd identify the fact that our kids don't have good perspective-taking yeah. skills. And, and that's also true of all kids. Yeah. I think we just kind of excuse it in people because yeah. it's so 
present right, and right. prevalent. And um, But what's interesting to me is when I meet adults who are on the spectrum who have had good quality ABA. Yeah. Uh, that's why they're so sweet. They are. They're that's so why sweet they're the best and polite people. That's right. And that's kind. Right, that's right. And you go, and they're. And understanding. They and don't get offended. They don't get offended. They're like honest. the nicest people. That's right. That's why I always say I love my adults because yeah. they are just like the best people in the world. Part of it is because they have incredible perspective-taking yeah. skills. A couple of summers ago, there were three young guys who were working here who were all on the spectrum. And, of course, this building is filled with young men and a lot of IT guys that, right, you know, right, are, right. That are on the, the, the nerdier end of things, right, that aren't on the spectrum, right? But these three gentlemen... Were the best, They were right? gentlemen. You couldn't walk through a door that one of them was holding a door for yeah, you or holding yeah. the elevator and saying, how was your day today, and being so super uber kind and it, they would just put a smile on your face yeah. because they were so Sharon, kind. were you ever at when the three of them spoke at the retreat? Oh, you yes. Were, huh? I, was, I was in the back, you know, eating tissues because I was Weeping. trying not to make the, the ugly cry sound in the back of the room. It was so <laughs> inspiring. You know how when you get ugly oh, cry and then you get into that <gasps> kind of noise. They were amazing. They, yeah, they spoke. It was one of the most amazing things I've ever experienced myself, personally, being that they were three of my little boys, oh. you know? It like, kills me when I think about it. Um, and successful oh. and doing things with their lives. And they and each one of them had a completely different perspective on where they were going. And humorous. And, oh, we So, laughed. like, the whole video, they, yeah, so they had, just for the, our audience to know, they had put together a video, which I had asked them to do, sort of their lives. I had asked them to put a thing together for, for the supervisors at CARD yeah. just to be able to sort of experience their lives. Instead, what they did, which I love them for this, I miss <laughs> the three of them, I honestly do. Me too. Being here. The three, they put together a video and a presentation of, um, <laughs> I don't even know how to explain it. It was, it was, it, it was made, almost like a parody. It, it was, was a parody. It, was it made fun of the people here. Yes. And it was fantastic. It, I mean, it it, they had caught people in the, the most interesting situations and had put this video together to show how odd the people around them yes. are, you know? And it was just spectacular. I loved it. And then, of course, all three of them uh, had written speeches and, and wrote those. I was going to say, one of the things that would be spectacular if we could do this is to actually play that uh, entire thing because the whole thing was videotaped. Yeah on the show one time because okay. it was just unbelievable. It was an experience it I really will never was. forget. Yeah. It was absolutely amazing. It was so inspirational. And I don't think anybody who was there wasn't so moved. Everybody was laughing and crying. It was bedlam yeah. because we didn't know what to do with ourselves. It was amazing. Everybody it kept standing up and staying standing up because they were they were absolutely amazing. Right. And one I know at least one of the parents was there and I because I ran into him in the gift shop. Yeah. And uh, and he identified himself and I I said, okay, your 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 you kid is done. so amazing. You must be so proud. He said, he's my hero. He's totally yeah. my hero, yeah. which I completely of get. Of course, and he now has his masters and is uh, a biostatistician at UCLA. And I want to put and is that I think that's who you're talking I, about. Yes. Yeah. Uh, amazing, love amazing these guys. gentleman. Love my guys. Okay, love this question too. Somebody wrote in and said, hello, thank you, Shannon, for always being so positive. I'm not always, but uh, <laughs> but I try to be. Uh, my question is. When do I know that my child's ABA is not 
uh, necessary any longer. I keep thinking our, key, our kids can get better, but they would always have some sort of symptoms of autism even when they do improve in many ways. How do I know ABA can stop? And they said, thank you. Mm. It's a well, quality question. That's a very question. good question. Yeah. It's a very, very good question. I love that question. So um, I'll tell you how I know. This is what I do. I, I do two things. I think I... I'm not I'm not sure if I understand from your question if you feel your child is finished or you feel like ABA isn't helping anymore. Mm. I don't know which one it is. I get, I get the feeling, I, I know a lot of us ask like midway in, well, how will I know when we're done? Am I, I'm never going to be done, am I? In the right. beginning, I kept saying, when can I be done? Right. And, then, and then in the middle, I was saying, oh, we're, there's always going to be something to work on. Right. And I got nervous about losing the ABA. So maybe that's me putting my stuff on it. But Because uh, I, don't, I, I can't tell if that's what the issue is. So let's answer both. Okay. So one side of it is, how do I know if my child is done? That's, that's one question, right? Mm -hmm. So that, of course, is very important in that what I do is I depend on standardized testing. I can't be subjective about it. I, I, I'm trying very hard not to be arrogant in this field because, you know, I never want to think I know everything. And so what I do is I, I will, most of the kids here, they, we won't allow kids to terminate unless there's been sort of someone at a senior level has signed off. Mm -hmm. Um, because we want to make sure the first thing we do before we're even, like when the supervisor feels like Mike is doing great, we're at the, you know, top of all the levels of skills that he's supposed to do. So that's, I guess that's our first catch. The first catch is, so we continuously, our supervisors continuously use skills, mm -hmm. our online uh, curriculum and assessments and so on. Skills has um, these charts that indicate the age level of every skill and if you have met more or less the age levels of your age, so in other words, you are now, your mental functioning is at your chronological functioning age. So you're doing everything that another child of your age should be doing, or almost everything, then the supervisor will say, I think he's done, or he's pretty close. Mm -hmm. And then at that point, we bring the child in, I'll want to see the family most of the time if I can, and then we do assessments. The assessments are standardized testing, which we do every year anyway, but we do more at this phase. So at this phase, we're looking, first of all, we want normal IQ, uh, just, just across the board. IQ is very telling. People think IQ is garbage. It is in, in the sense that you don't want IQ to define your life or your child, but the IQ tests are very telling because they will show you things like how strong is your child's working memory, or your processing speed, things that are very important in life. So you want all of that to be pretty much in the normal range. You don't want it to be perfect or above perfect. You want it to be in the normal range, which is 85 to 115 standard, one standard deviation above or below the norm. Then the second area you want to look at is obviously language. So we want language testing. And usually by the time your child is being tested for like past the age of seven or so, then we're looking at doing pretty advanced language tests as well, not just things like the told or the self, which are basic speech tests that are very helpful. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, things like the test of pragmatic language. So these are high-level tests that help us identify if there's like pragmatic language, social language problems, or the test of problem solving. These are very, very good tests. 
We also test on the executive functioning, so we'll either give the brief, which is a test of executive functioning for the parents to fill out, or teachers and so on, and it's a questionnaire, or the NEPSI, which is a neuropsych test, and we'll select segments from it and administer it and make sure the child's um, executive functioning skills are appropriate. Social skills tests we do, obviously, in order to make sure those measures are appropriate. So we do a series of standardized tests, and what we're expecting to get back is something similar to what a typical child would get, which is pretty much within the 100 range T-score. Now, once you have that, the other criteria obviously are things like, okay, he's in um, school, regular education, we've made, we've, um, you know, taken out the aid that we put in. Um, he has friends, this is another thing. And if any of those things are not in place, he's happy, you know, functioning well, adaptively functioning happy. If none of that, if anything in that list is not happening, then you can keep working on it. It's really that simple. So anything in the testing that is deficient, you keep working on it. Um, often, I will still find some deficits in executive functioning and in pragmatic language and in problem solving. And so those three areas remain a little bit perspective taking. Maybe some of that stuff still lingers. Um, often, by the time we're ready to do testing, we will still have a, maybe an aid in school or shadow. Maybe it's an uh, unknown shadow, but nevertheless, it's still a shadow, and I have to fade them out. Mm -hmm. Maybe the child's still getting, you know, 20 hours, and I'll start the fade-out procedure. So this is, it's a process. So you identify the skills and make sure the child has everything they need, and if they don't, you continue to teach them. If they do, you do a fade-out process. Now, uh, that will be the official end of your ABA program, but your life will continue and you will keep using ABA for the rest of your life. You will. Everyone who gets trained in it does. Mm -hmm. Yesterday I was reading a chapter, one of our people, Megan, shout out to Megan, uh -huh. who's in our um, ARG. Uh, she had she was the lead author on this chapter of our book that we're editing and it was about what was it about gosh I'm trying because the funny thing about it was that she'd written this chapter complete oh it was collaboration with other professionals it was multidisciplinary collaboration we're in the middle of editing it right now and it's funny because you would never think that someone would write a chapter about collaborating with other professions from this perspective everything she had written was well Identify the function of why professionals can't collaborate together. <laughs> why is it that you can't and they can't? And then alter those functions by altering environmental reinforcement. I mean, it was so behavior analytic. And That's I awesome. just kept going back and forth. And initially, I was like, I wonder if other professionals reading this will be turned off. And I was kind of like, this is a really great application of ABA. Yeah. It's so awesome. It's really good. So. You know, once you've learned ABA, you will practice it. So it's never going to end for you. Now, I hope that answered the question. The other side of the equation could potentially be that you're not happy with your ABA program and or it's not making significant enough changes in your child where you think it's time to end. Now, if that's the case, I would say I've taken enough kids through the end, through to the very end, that if your program is not teaching your child the things they need to get to the end, stop your program, find a better program, okay. or find a better, you know, just take it to a higher up in your program. Make sure that someone observes your program because 
the last stages of ABA are very difficult and pretty high level and so you need to have eyes on them and you need to deal with some of them I mean, even if you leave if you're someone who's very involved and has learned a lot you can pretty much teach those things over time to your child but it'll take longer it'll just take longer um, and if but if you have a good quality program then you should just stay with it and continue until really a lot of the needs and let me just also say some of my kids leave and come back for a little bit like they'll leave because they don't have any issues and then a few years go by and now we're in a high school and something comes up and then parents will come back to us and say how do I deal with this mm -hmm. and the child's typical but the parents want some support from us and we're happy to jump in and do that anytime yeah. well now once you see how well this works why would you want to do anything else why would you absolutely. want to mess around with anything else? absolutely absolutely and I do want to say too, just a, a quick shout out the question that we had dr. Jonathan Tarbox answer last week on the show and you can find it on our YouTube channel was what to do if you're not seeing progress in your ABA program great. And he gave a great it's on the YouTube channel you can go great. and see what he has to say because it was awesome and, and got a little involved so Wonderful. Uh, great great advice unfortunately we're out of time right so yeah, did our best. other parents by any chance respond? she did not respond okay, so we'll I know just oh, wait and once we get that we'll communicate yeah with them. a lot of people have had snow throughout the country and I know we were getting some comments from people both yesterday and today that service has been intermittent in terms of their so uh, they may have had to go but hopefully they'll see it record and will write to us and tell us which office absolutely so we'll look forward to that and, I, and we always love when you guys give us a follow-up on what you've been able to do based on what got talked about here and and how things are happening we love updates don't we yes we do okay <laughs> so uh, we are not here live next week but dr. Grandpache will be joining us the following week the last week in February so uh, thank you so much for being thank here you. and answering these questions we're gonna take a break now and go to the a word this is the ongoing documentary being done at the Center for Autism and Related Disorders following a little boy, Jack Riley, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. And we're starting to see he's about three weeks into his therapy, his early intervention program, and getting quality ABA therapy. And we're seeing some differences in behavior. And the parents are dealing with it, and Jack Riley's dealing with it. His schedule's a little bit different. So there are going to be some bumps, but he's learning a lot. And then after that, Let's talk autism with Shannon and Nancy. Nancy Allspot Jackson will be here. And our special guest, so inspirational, Alex Hale. You're not going to want to miss it. So take a look. This is the A word. I just wanted to ask you how you're adjusting with all this, all these people coming in and out of the home. You know, half of me is used to it. Half of me is no longer freaking out about how clean my house is, clearly. Uh, the, other, <laughs> the other half of me is still really overwhelmed and you know if there's talk of one more thing that we add to our list for that week sort of freaks me out at least initially. Well it's easier now it was very strange the first week. Uh, he's making progress it's sort of relentless you uh when you think you have a moment to relax you uh oh oh wait a minute <laughs> 9 30 so and so is showing up but um um it's just an adjustment. It's not overwhelming necessarily. There are times where um, you just need an hour and it's not coming. But um, we've developed a fondness for all of you guys. So that makes it easier. And he's making progress. So he really cares how inconvenient it is. What color? You're funny. You're like Spider Man. You're funny. You were. <laughs> <laughs> hey!
She's not a jungle gym. You're funny. Hey. You're funny. You're funny. Go. Hey, you wanted to go color. Yeah, go color. Today we went to OT and just watching him climb up a rope. And he got to the top and he was on a ledge and she had to show him how to turn over on his belly to climb back down. And he did it again and he got to the top and he remembered. He knew to turn on his belly and do it. So just watching him soaking up stuff and, and being able to adapt it. it so quickly is, is pretty Good impressive. Job. Now if only that would work with, with the eating. That's probably still our biggest yeah. challenge is eating. Yeah, eating is a task. Therapist came out for my knee deep and it probably took him, uh, I don't know, 10 minutes to really take his first bite. But um, what he'll eat and how he'll eat and when he'll eat are ch very challenging. So I think the goal is to develop the relationships with the girls first and to be more compliant on behaviors that don't involve food or eating. Um, he, he gets really worked up when new foods are introduced to him. It's a good 10-12 minutes before he'll even consider eating anything else. So we have to get past that and probably introduce it to him a lot and let him play with it more and just get that that fear and anxiety out of him. But it's going to be a slow process, I think. He's doing something really interesting. And I'm surprised, I was talking to Suzanne, because he's so into textures and how things feel, and I was surprised that he leaned more into puppet. We had peaches in front of him today with applesauce and tried to make, make it fun to run the trains through. And can we squish it? Are you all done with the Play-Doh? Yeah, let's go. All done. Clean up. Thank you. Good job. Uh-oh, you don't want any done kids? We can play with it later, Jack Riley. We're done for now, okay? You want to eat? Are you hungry? Are you hungry? Do you want lunch? Do you want lunch? Do you want, do you want to watch Pocoyo with lunch? How has it been like just adjusting to? There's days when he's having therapy and he's having difficulty, and he's crying, and uh, those are those are hard uh, uh, on us because I think we're both overly sensitive anyway, and he's your son. Those days haven't been that many where he's like emotionally drained or anything. I think he's made the adjustment maybe better than we have. Thursday, I remember sitting in my office and hearing him cry pretty hard, and I had to call a girlfriend. Mike was gone, so I had to call a girlfriend, and I was pretty close to tears. And she talked me off the ledge, which was a good thing. But since then, it's been easier to hear him. I, I haven't heard it as bad or it hasn't felt as bad. But I know it's good for him. And I know that uh, um, he's being asked to do things that uh, he's not used to being asked to do. So there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. This one. What color? Green. Green. Last night, there were bubbles on a page, and not only did he say bubble and pointed at all the bubbles, but then he decided to pop the bubbles and started saying pop. Um, and so he's using the words right, you know? And, and that book, I think we went through every page, and he found something on every page that he knew the word for. Nothing is, uh, is easy for him anymore, even with us, I think. If he wants to do anything or if he wants to try anything, he has to 
ask us for it or say the color or do something. So I think we learned that from ABA. Cochlea or baby babble? Babble. Good choice. Baby babble. Baby babble. That's good talking. Bubbles. Bubbles. If he's watching a video with you, he turns and uh, make sure you get. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? So he's fully engaging you to make sure you're paying attention. And, uh, that's great because I, like I like when he looks at my eyes. <laughs> Good morning and welcome to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I'm Nancy Allspot-Jackson. And I'm Shannon Penrod. We're very Valentine-ish. We're very Valentine. I know. It's well, you know, thing. this is a show where hope and love are our four-letter words. In fact, that is our topic. This week is love and last week it's hope. So okay. uh, we're, we're in sync. Love and hope are four-letter words around That's here. It. So in the news. Yes. Lots um, of things going on. Yeah, they have announced that there is federal funding the justice department immediately has announced that they are going to provide free electronic tracking devices for kids with autism u.s attorney general eric holder said last week that his department had existing grant money that can be used for the technology and uh, police departments nationwide can begin applying for the funding immediately um, local law enforcement will then use the money to pay for tracking devices to distribute to families who want them um, so this came right after uh, u.s senator charles schumer from new york um, was introducing the legislation that would allocate $10 million to the Justice Department to create the grant program for families wishing to monitor their children. Now, what I'm going to do through ACT Today is try to find out a little bit more about how police departments can access this, and maybe even if ACT Today can access it as well. Absolutely. Um, but it, it's very important for families that do have children that are nonverbal, that uh, have a history of wandering and elopement, or even not, if you have concerns about the school providing enough safety. Um, and he, Schumer first floated the idea of funding tracking devices in response to the disappearance of Avante Oquando, which we know uh, Avante was recently found dead, and about that whole tragedy. And uh, it goes on to say about half of individuals with autism are prone to wandering, and the tracking devices can be worn as a bracelet if your child has sensory issues with that which mine would can be attached to a child's shoe or belt loop or even sewn into the clothing and then in the event that the individual goes missing a caregiver or parent can contact the monitoring company to pinpoint um, the person's location they're gonna Very look for quickly. permanent funding for this I want to applaud uh, Senator Schumer for spearheading this, it's much needed. And absolutely, it's a it's a wonderful thing and important to remember that it's completely voluntary. So no one is suggesting that everyone who has autism needs a tracking advice. Right. We're talking about for in cases where a family wants to do this kind of thing because they know that the individual has uh, uh, the ability to wander or elope, we, we wanna make sure that we keep them safe. Keeping right. our kids safe, number right. one. Right. 
So, and a, a really interesting study that's getting a lot of traction in the news lately talking about the difference between uh, a neurotypical brain and an autistic brain and discovering mm -hmm. that autistic brains at rest are doing a lot more than a neurotypical brain. Isn't this, this made a lot of sense to me. Yes. And I was reading it uh, with my husband and we he was saying, you know, that really makes sense to me. Um, it says it suggests that the, they generate more information when at rest and that this excess production of, of information may explain the withdrawal into an inner world. And I'm also wondering if it might explain some of the vocal stereotypy, you know, repetitive behaviors, because there, I know, I know my son Wyatt, you know, is, is given to blurting out things that make no sense to what you're doing right now. But is that what's, how much is going on in his head yeah. that we don't know about? And yeah. how much is going on in our kids' heads that we don't know as opposed to a neurotypical person's Absolutely. head? And so... Uh, it says that the it, the results suggest that autistic children are not interested in social interactions because of the fact that this the brain's generating more information, and um, it's a new interpretation, and it says it's in line with the intense world theory of autism recently proposed by Swiss neuroscientists Henry and Camilla. Macrum, Markram, and that theory describes autism as resulting from brain over arousal, which uh, I haven't read anything about this intense world theory, but seems seems like a rational, reasonable uh, theory to me. And and especially because they didn't find it's just a little bit more productive during rest. They found 42% more productive. And how they arrived at this, the researchers told children to relax during a recording session, which lasted between 30 and 60 seconds. Their results showed that the brains of the children with Asperger syndrome were more active, 42%, as we said, than the brains of the other children. The participants ranged in age from 6 to 16. So 42 percent more active mm. that's fascinating isn't it it is and more active which i like it's a positive yeah i mean <laughs> it's certainly more active be... and maybe there's a way we can tap into that activity Absolutely. in a more appropriate way that doesn't cause them to withdraw but can actually yeah. have that activity come out in some sort of expression absolutely yeah I, I have a friend who refers to something called monkey brain you ever have that thing uh, where you go to bed I at night and your and your brain, brain is just uh, racing he says you've got monkey brain Calm there we down, go take a breath and yeah right there's just so much going yeah. on and it can be very overwhelming. Yeah. Um, so imagine if you had 42% more happening all the time, even yeah. at rest. That's a lot. I know. Absolutely. And then add sensory stimulation to that and yeah. everything else. Yeah. Because yeah. it's taking in more. Right. So uh, it, it could cause a lot of different anxiety, certainly, yeah. and, and different behaviors that would arise from them. Right. But we have a really amazing guest who's going to be joining us via Skype. We uh, do. An uh, amazing young man. His name is Alex Hale. And he has Asperger's syndrome. Mm -hmm. He is a college graduate. Um, and he is an advocate now for Autism Speaks, mm -hmm. and he's a singer, and he's accomplishing amazing things. His mom, Karen, is not going to be with us, but she has really cheered on his every achievement. So we're going to be talking with Alex via Skype when okay. we come back. Stick with us.
traveler in the darkness on a road that has no bound. Like a missing puzzle piece, jumbled thoughts and sights and sounds. He finally knew the magic like a spell magician say. To clear away the clouds of doubt so I can find my My spirit can life free Where I can finally tame at last The storm inside of me Unlocking every mystery Till I win this furious fight And step out of the darkness Into the my head How I wish my world were different dancing through my life instead I'm thankful for my music cause it helps me through each day Imagining sweet peace at last where I will find my way into the light into the light so my spirit can fly free Storm inside of me, unlocking every mystery till I win this furious fight and step out of the darkness into the light. What I know.
And we are back with Let's Talk Autism and our special guest, Alex Hale, who uh, autism sings apparently with Alex. And Alex, thank you for joining us. Tell us about, uh, first of all, what message do you hope to get across to people through your career now as a singer? Um, the whole message of all this is that when I was younger, a lot of people told me I wouldn't be doing anything with my life. I'd be lucky to graduate high school and college, uh, that my future was in a halfway house. That's what people were mm -hmm. telling me my entire life. The message I send across with my music is that very simple. Anything is possible. The initiative I'm doing is called My Impossible Dream, which is to become a musician for my entire career. Um, and I, my whole purpose of everything I do with my music is to show everybody that it doesn't matter what you are, it doesn't matter what people say you're going to be, it all depends on what you want to be and how hard you work at it. And that's the message that I try to get across is that, yeah, I'm autistic, doesn't really matter to me. Uh, I just do what I do because I love it and I know I can do it for a living. No one's going to tell me otherwise. And you're, and you're working with Autism Speaks as an advocate for them, right? Yes, that is, that is absolutely correct. Okay. I, I love, Alex, that you call it my impossible dream and, and that the subtitle is, but I'm going to do it anyway, is what I get from you. And if we, all, if we all adopted that attitude about everything, we'd all get a lot further, wouldn't we? My impossible dream, but I'm going to do it anyway. And, and you really are doing it, Alex. You're, you've got an amazing array of things that you're participating in. Yeah, like we got a lot of things going on right now. I mean, Tonight, after last night, you know, with James Durbin, I'm going to be oh. at the Cleveland Accord and opening for James Durbin again. So it's going to be a lot of fun tonight. That's why, you know, we're doing a lot of running around today. So it's been pretty busy. Yeah, Let's I, refresh everybody on who James Durbin is. He was a finalist on American yeah, Idol. American Idol, yeah. And so He's you've been... Really, you you're opening for him. You're performing a lot of places. Where are you coming to us from? Where is your hometown? I am in Northfield, Ohio, though. Normally, I will say Brecksville, Ohio, because that's really where I grew up. But if we want to talk about technically, I'm technically in Northfield, Ohio. But I'll always say Brecksville, which is like a minute down the street from here. <laughs> and how was it opening for James Durbin? Was it incredible? Um, it, it was really nice. I mean, the place we were at last night was small, but it was a nice audience. Tonight, we're expecting a much bigger audience You're uh, fighting because it's, it's more downtown Cleveland. I mean, Akron is a great area for music, but Cleveland is really a bigger destination, so we're expecting a lot more people there, but it was a great audience last night. Well, it's really amazing. Hey, we, we're going to take a short break. Yes. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to you a little bit more about some of your specific songs, Alex, and then some of the challenges okay. you've been through going to college and having this singing career and uh, get some advice for other young people on the spectrum. So stay with us. More with Alex Hale when we get back. The Institute for Behavioral Training provides courses in applied behavior analysis for the treatment of autism. Access IBTE learning videos on the move and learn at your own pace.
about intensity. IBT eLearning makes any location your classroom on the go. So our objectives for today are to really learn what is autism and how is it diagnosed. Get professional guidance with IBT face-to-face -face training. IBT face-to-face -face training courses prepare you to effectively implement ABA-based interventions. Choose between small group and one-to-one -one instruction. Earn BCBA supervision hours via one-to-one -one video conferencing. So I had a chance to review your VIP today. You know what? It looked really good. You did a good job with that. IBT, continuing education courses. Earn credit through webinars, conferences, article reviews, and e-learning videos. You can learn more at ibehavioraltraining.com. IBT, 360 degrees of ABA training. Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Our very special guest joining us via Skype is Alex Hale. All this month in Feel Good February, we're focusing on stories of inspiration and hope from the autism spectrum, and Alex really embodies that. He is a wonderful singer and songwriter who is living his impossible dream. Yes, he is. And Alex, we wanted to ask you about some of your, your songs that you have written with, I understand, the help of your Grammy Award award-winning uncle, Joe Moss? Joe Moss, yeah. Okay. Three-time Grammy winner. Wow, that's impressive. So you're so lucky to have him in your family. Tell us about Into the Light. What does that represent for you, your song? Um, Into the Light was a very interesting song that was the first we ever did, me and my uncle. Um, I got that more from listening to others because I was still trying to find myself through all this, you know. I just failed at Akron. I was just starting up at Bryan Stratton College, so I was trying to find direction. And I just joined uh, the Northeast Ohio chapter for Autism Speaks, and I was listening to all these stories, and at one meeting, I'm writing all these feelings down from all the parents, all the people affected with it. And I went home and I wrote them all down. I sent them to my uncle and I said, uh, what can we do with this and how can it represent what i want to do and from there it was more of you know we need to build hope that you know what i'm doing and this was the beginning of everything that you know there is a light at the end of the tunnel that signifies into the light there is no darkness there is hope at, at the end of the tunnel which if you listen throughout the entire song it starts off with me my darkest place and you keep hearing you know there's a brighter, you know, future ahead of everybody. But the beauty of that song is at the end, we bring it back into perspective, which it sounds a little depressing at the end, but if you think about it, it's more of, you know, we always will have autism. It's never going away. It's how you deal with it is what you who you are well okay. and, and talking about challenges because I'm sure you know you call it your impossible dream because there are challenges to overcome to make the dream possible are there extra challenges Alex because you have a diagnosis on the autism spectrum yeah my focus tends to uh, go in different directions from time to time uh, you know I may not be able to do certain things you know without reminders from my mother who nags you you know all the time about did you clean your room today did you take your pills did you do this did you do that um but at the same time it's sort of a normal thing for you know a young adult to go through but for me it's at a little bit more of a level because sometimes you know i know i'm supposed to do it but i need constant reminders of myself doing it 
It, right. it is very hard for me to get used to, but I'm glad to say I'm slowly getting the hang. Yeah, well, Alex, a long way to go still. Alex, you mentioned your mom, Karen. Now, she couldn't be with us today, but she's a remarkable woman. And tell us what your mom, how she helped you on this journey, because there are lots of parents watching the show that are looking at you, and maybe they have a three-year-old who was just diagnosed, and they're saying, how can I get my child to be like this remarkable young man? What are the, some of the things that your mom did with you that made all the difference? Uh, much like me, we did not listen to anybody who told us that it couldn't be done. I mean, we talked to someone from the county here in Ohio, I'm not gonna name where for privacy purposes, but they said those three things they said at the beginning. They said to my face as a sixth grader, you will never graduate high school without help. You will never graduate college. Don't even go there, don't even try for it and you're gonna be mopping floors the rest of your life living in a halfway house. And it wasn't just, you know, myself and my mother. My father was also part of it, but the big thing with my mother is she has believed in me so much that there is so much more to all of this in the end that, that, you know, I cannot be stopped. It's more of, you know, I need to be, you know, pushed a little bit, but she doesn't like hand it to me. That, that's, that's the beauty of what she does. She knows what she has to do. It's not of, you know, I'm going to give it to you. It's more of I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And in the end, you're going to have to do it. It's sort of tough love from now, in that, now and then. Mm -hmm. But in the end, you know what she's doing. She's doing what's best for you. And she's teaching me to become independent, which for anyone with autism, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, how low functioning or high functioning you are. I still think it's possible that anybody can live independently as long as you've got a strong supporting cast around you, which my mother is probably the biggest supporter I could ever have. Let me so. ask you about some early uh, interventions and things you did growing up. Did you, mm -hmm. did you go to public school? Did you have uh, ABA therapy? What, what are some of the things that you did uh, growing up? Yeah, I went to public school. Brexo Brownie Heights High School, go bees. Um, I had to throw that in there. Sorry. Uh, but, you know, I had, um, I was in special education for a while, and I did have an aide in school until 10th grade when I just decided, hey, I don't need any more. I'm good. But uh, the big problem in school all my life was the bully. Uh. I was bullied you know, verbally, and there were times where I was uh, physically harmed. Mm. Um, there were days where I would lie to my parents saying I'm sick and uh, would try not to go to school because I knew I was going to be hurt that day. Mm. And, um, you know, and the teachers would not believe me when I said I'm the one being bullied. They just didn't want to do it. That They're like, no, there's no way you're being bullied this much when in reality I was and I was the one who was suspended more days and all the other bad things that you could possibly think of instead of the bullies when I was doing nothing wrong. I was at that point, you know, as a teenager, defending myself the best I could. When they physically were hurting me, I didn't know any other way except for physically defending myself, which I learned by now is the worst thing to do. But then you so, don't know what's but well, you, I think that's important to, for parents to know. Yes. You had a lot of challenges. It didn't sound like it was an easy road, but you ultimately overcame them. And we've kept you far too long because you're on your way to a concert. Yes. And you're yeah. just so inspirational. But we're going to ask you, I, I would love to know, Alex, 
What are your dreams for the future for yourself? And then what are your dreams for all individuals on the autism spectrum? Well, my dreams, I mean, I'm still working that out. I mean, the music thing, yes, I love to do this for a living. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind if someone throughout this whole initiative offered me a record deal, I would take it in a minute. I mean, who wouldn't? I would also love to work in sports. That's my other love. I know so much about each sport that I could probably work in the front office of teams, <laughs> that teams are going to wish they had me. I mean, I'm speaking to the <laughs> I'm speaking to the Indians next week in front of our president, Mark Shapiro, and I know that he's probably going to afterwards say, you're impressive, we need to keep our eye on you. And I think that's one of the things that I stress, is that the autistic mind is the most beautiful mind of them all, because you don't know, and no one really understands what it holds. There are secrets that we just don't know yet that we're just starting to figure out, and I'm hoping that I could be a small part of that where people can look at autistic people and say, hey, you know, it's not impossible. All you need to do is, as my other song, Walk a Mile. Walk a Mile in our shoes, understand we go through on an everyday basis, and people will see we're human, we're normal. If people say we're crazy, my response is everybody's crazy. It's just how we use that crazy. So I think anything is possible for anyone in the world. As long as you have the support, as long as you have the heart to do what you want to do, and as long as you work at it. Well, well that's very inspirational. I love your style, Alex. We love right. it. And uh, we're so happy to have had you as a guest today, Alex. And we're going to, how can people get in touch with you, support you, your Facebook page? I have actually a card here. I mean, you guys probably won't be able to We've see got it, it up. Well, We've we, got it on our lower we, screen. We have it up, Alex. Okay. So just say it's well, the Facebook. I, it, it sort of is backwards from what it's saying. I mean, it, it's at the real Alex Hale. That's Twitter. Um, on Facebook, you can go to my, my Impossible Dream, Alex Hale, on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on those two places. You can email us at okay. my Impossible Dream. AH at gmail.com. You can email us there. Awesome. All right. Those, we have, we, are, you can reach us. And awesome. We put your Twitter up. The Twitter is the real Al Sale. Yeah. And we're proud to say James Durbin now follows us on Twitter. So. <laughs> All right. Love it. We got to let you go. Have great, have a, a lot of fun tonight. And, and I have a feeling your impossible dream no. is very possible. And we thank you for being with us, Alex. Have a great performance. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What a remarkable young man. And we just, you know, every week, we've had so many, it seems like every other week we've had young people on the spectrum on that have blown me away yeah. with their, first of all, how positive they are, yep. how determined they are. And how capable. How capable. Yeah. How talented. Yeah. And the common thread is no one, we didn't believe the naysayers. Right. We are overcomers. Mm -hmm. We are overcomers and we will overcome and we will achieve. Now, they've had often very strong family support. But yes. what tends to make these young individuals stand out is their parents believed it that they could do anything and they believed it and yep. they kept trying despite yep. some pretty daunting challenges yeah 
Absolutely. Really remarkable and and great. I always talk about the shoes and the snowing everywhere right now. And, and you know, we don't have to make a path if we follow in somebody else's footsteps right. in the snow. Here are some footsteps I want to follow in the yeah, snow. Yeah, definitely. Amazing. So he, he brought up the subject of bullying and abuse. And you and I were talking right before the show, and we wanted to share some of our thoughts about that. But we should take a break Yeah, first. let's take a break. Let's, and when we come back... Let's do a palate cleanse. Okay. All right. We'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Hi, we're here with Temple Grandin, and we're going to be asking her some of your questions that you guys have written into us. First of all, Temple, I want to thank you for being with us here today. No, it's good and to answer. be here. This is a question that I want to know. When you went to the Emmys and you went to all these different events and you were there in your wonderful shirt, was there anybody who tried to talk you into wearing something else, or did they just understand that you needed to be who you were? Well, I think being eccentric is just fine. I dressed eccentric at the um, Emmys. Mm -hmm. Eccentric's fine. Being a filthy slob is not fine. Let's look at the latest Mars rover. You got the Mohawk guy that's ahead of the expedition. You got the Elvis guy that figured out how to land on the moon and he wears Elvis outfits. I think that's just fine. But you can't be a rude, filthy, dirty slob. That's the thing where draw the line. Eccentric's fine. I remember a guy who was on the spectrum and he taught astronomy at a local college. And he had beautiful astronomy t-shirts and he had long hair with a ponytail this long. And I said to him, don't let anybody cut your ponytail off. You know, wear it with pride, but it must be washed and it must be clean there you and go. neat. Love it. Did they try to talk you into wearing a dress or they, they knew Oh no, would... nobody knew I would wear a dress. <laughs> I, I got too much of a farmer tan and would just look just terrible. I'm, no, you're not gonna get me in an evening gown. I did buy some new black pants. I'm gonna wear okay. it tonight. Well, I thought you looked great. Uh, well, I want to let you know about the shirt award of the Emmys. Yeah. That was a Ralph Lauren oh, shirt. Oh, Okay, fashion snubs. <laughs> and that was a gift from my sister for Christmas. Welcome back to Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Boy, we just had an amazing interview with Alex Hale, an inspirational young man who is on a journey to make his impossible dream come true. And we were talking with him about that, but he mentioned that the road has not been easy and that along the way he had some pretty, as you said, daunting things to overcome, yeah, in especially high school, bullying. He was bullied uh, relentlessly, he said, yeah. in high school and fought back yeah. and was not believed. And he was the one that ended up being expelled and suspended and various things. Um, very eye-opening. Very eye-opening. Such a, a wonderful young man. And abuse is something, uh, physical abuse, uh, sexual abuse, bullying, um, very much on the minds of parents with children on the spectrum. And you mentioned some statistics from a, you had uh, attended a seminar. I, I went to a seminar a couple of years ago. The title of it was How to Prevent Abuse in Our Children with Disabilities. And as many of you are aware, the, the statistics uh, say that one in three children will uh, encounter some sort of abuse, right? Which is and shocking to me. It is shocking. I have to say, shocking. One in three children will encounter some sort of abuse while they are children. Uh, and when you look at children with disabilities, which includes autism, the number is more like one in 50%. So which one in shakes, two. Yeah, shakes you to your shoes, right? And, and so I, I decided, you know, we, none of us want to talk about it, right? But I decided to go to this seminar, and the title was How to Prevent Abuse. And when we got there, a wonderful expert said, you know, I'm glad you're all 
here and that you want to talk about this, but the reality is, is that we're going to, we're going to talk about some things to do to be diligent, but in reality, we're going to spend more time talking about how to prevent it happening a second time. S things that skills to give your child so that if something happens to them, they know how to report it so that we can catch some of these people and prevent them from doing it again. And I got to tell you, it was very sobering, but I've not forgotten the things that I learned yeah. in that seminar. Very enlightening. And and you brought up something that happened uh, this week. Yes. Um, in your I, had, I had uh, my child's aide mentioned to me, uh, and my child goes to a private school uh, run by a church, and it's a wonderful school with, I've never seen bullying there. Uh, it's a very much an environment of nurturing and love and respect. But uh, my, my son's aide mentioned to me that she saw a very disturbing thing happen on the playground to a child in another grade that's on the spectrum. And when she told me the details, it really concerned me enough that I said, well, I've got to call the mom immediately. That was my gut. And we should- Not to call the school, but right. to call the mom mm -hmm. to kind of give her and, and we should say that you're you're sus you're suspecting that there's a, the, a bullying or potential bullying happening yes, so that yes. we're clear about that yes and she which was is very, very serious yeah she was very balanced about it and she said you know I want to get more information from yeah. the aide and I want to talk and and the aide my son's aide did report it to the right. school the, the teacher that was out on the play yard and so I know it's being dealt with but I just felt like it was so important for this mom to know right away I said I always use the litmus test what would I want something somebody to do for me mm-hmm and I would always want to know right away. And I think Absolutely. the parent needs to know right away. And then this led us to the conversation about the Dylan Farrow uh, incident situation yeah. that has dominated uh, much of the news, yeah. Woody Allen, Dylan Farrow. And, uh, you know, my, my take on that, because once again, I think we, we're seeing the victim be put on trial here. Uh, when I read her open letter to the New York Times, uh, I rarely post things on Facebook. I posted it and I said, uh, you are a brave woman and there will be men and women everywhere who will thank you and children everywhere that will be indebted to you. Uh, I felt that what she did was such a brave act and the way that some of the responses to this situation have so appalled me, and you as well. Absolutely. And how do you feel about it, Shannon? Well, I don't even get me started, right? I know, you're right? all I mean, teared up. Uh, I have so much respect for her as an adult woman to take a stand and say, this is what happened to me, and, and, and to take ownership of her power to say, this is how it will no longer affect me. I yes. thought it was a very powerful article. And imagine how much strength that took because she already knew there were already people she hadn't even said anything and there were already people who were deciding what they think happened. Yeah. Which without a comment me. from her which incenses me, especially in this particular case, and I, and I don't want to get off uh, right, on, a, right, on a tangent right. here, but there are other circumstances that if anybody does the research and sees that, you know, the, clearly there is some, there is a smoking gun. Yes. And there's more than one smoking more gun. More than one in this situation. So, so uh, and, and yet the, the blind defense 
of the the perpetrator in this case uh, is sickening to me. It is because well the bottom line is the rich and the powerful in our culture are protected, and I speak from experience in that I underwent a situation of uh, a sexual abuse that happened when I was in my 20s, and it was perpetrated by a very wealthy, powerful man, and I I I did not even tell my husband. I did not tell anyone because I thought it was my fault that I went to lunch with this man and then allowed him to drive me back to my workplace. I felt guilty and did not tell anybody till years later. So I think the point of all this is if you suspect, if you see, if you hear, bring it in the open because only by documenting it and getting it out in the open is later they're, they're going to say, well, why now? Why now? So it's important, and especially for our kids on the spectrum, uh, to report and to bring it out in the open because the statistics show it's likely to happen. It is, and, and I will say some of the things that I learned in that seminar that I was at that we, for years, we've been taught to teach our children not to let anybody touch you in your bathing suit area, right? Mm -hmm. um, and one of the points that was brought up in, in this seminar was that's a good place to start, but the reality is is that the way that perpetrators make these things happen is that we they start and work up to things, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that we really want to teach children that their entire body is something that belongs to them. Think about somebody coming up and, and putting their hand in your hair mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. That you, you know, if it was you somebody, you would you right. would be or like, why is that happening, right? Right. right. Um, and so we need to empower our kids that their whole body mm -hmm. is theirs and that no one gets to touch it unless they say that it's okay. Mm -hmm. That can be a very dicey thing, especially for kids who don't have a whole lot of language. Mm -hmm. But there are ways that you can teach children to communicate when something is happening to them mm -hmm. and how they feel, whether it's pecs or something else. They have things that you can purchase already that do not plant something in a child's mind but give them the ability to tell you what's happening mm -hmm. and really I, I, it was horrible to hear but it's it's so important that we teach our children that if something bad is happening to them how to get to a safe place mm -hmm. within their mind and their body mm -hmm. and record what's happening mm -hmm. like to say to themselves what am I seeing what am I hearing? Where am I? What's happening? That that will help them mentally survive something horrible happening. Mm -hmm. And it will help them when you bring in the authorities to make sure that that person is held accountable for what they have done. It's unspeakable. It's horrible to talk about these things. Mm -hmm. It's horrible that we live in a world in which that's a reality. It is. But there was one story in particular that they told about a young woman who was abused by one of her uh, people who was supposed to be helping her. Mm -hmm. and someone on the, uh, a young woman on the spectrum? A young spectrum? woman on the spectrum okay. who was not verbal right. and was able to eventually tell her parents that a person who had access to her on a daily basis was abusing her. Mm -hmm. And they pursued it. They weren't able to put the person in jail. Okay. And it was devastating to the family. It was devastating to the young woman. But they, this therapist worked with her on techniques of being able to be safe when something is happening uh -huh. and to report it. And unfortunately, 
it happened again. Mm. And you think this is terrible. And sometimes, you know, you just can't imagine, but it happened again. And when it happened again, she was able to tell absolutely immediately. And she was able to talk to the authorities using a PEC system to mm -hmm. show what exactly had happened to her. Mm -hmm. And when the person went to jail, her mom talked about how jubilant she was because it wasn't going to happen to her again and she was empowered. And they didn't have to go through the post-traumatic stress of what happened the first time. Okay, so she finally had that safety she around knew, her. Yes, she knew that there were things that she could do, and in the moment, I mean, it's devastating, mm -hmm, right, to think mm -hmm. that she had to go through that and mm -hmm. had to go through it twice, but ultimately, uh, she had the power to be able to say, you don't get to do that to me. Right, right. Uh, which was everything to that family. Well, it might, you know, it might be good idea, it might be a good idea for us to look at having an expert on in this area uh, about how to keep your child who does have ASD uh, safe in today's environment, be it bullying, sexual abuse, physical abuse, and ways to prevent that and ways to uncover it and what to do if it does happen because yeah. we know reporting is important we know immediate response is is very important yeah. but i know there are other tips and it's something like you say it's an unpleasant thought for us i don't really like to think of it happening to my child i mean the mere yeah. thought of it makes me so upset that i i want to push it out of my mind but exactly. it is a reality in today's world so we should look at at covering Absolutely. that Absolutely. Yeah. Let's take a break and we'll come back with more Let's Talk Autism after these messages. Hi guys, welcome back to Smarty. It's February and for this month we have made a template for you. You can find it on facebook.com slash autism live and this activity works on your child's pincer grasp. So let's get started. The materials you'll be needing are scissors, a hole puncher, a glue stick, shoelace, cardstock, and our template that you can print from facebook.com slash autism live. First, I'm gonna take my template and glue it to cardstock. And the reason I'm using a glue stick is so that it doesn't ripple, because if you use the wet glue, it's gonna make it all lumpy. Once I have my template glued to my cardstock, I'm gonna take my scissors and cut out the heart. Now that I have my heart cut out, I'm gonna cut out the holes with the hole puncher. This is where your child's gonna take their shoelace and start threading through it. Now that I've put all the hole punches through the template, now I'm gonna get my kiddo to come over and take the shoelace and start sewing the outside of the heart. Shoelaces are great because they have the tip already making it easier for the child to thread it through the holes and they come in great different colors and patterns. As you can see, we found some really festive hearts. Here's my completed Valentine. Now it makes sense, right? I love you so very much. <laughs> as you can see, the child has a lot of opportunity to work on their pincer grass and find mold as they sew around the heart. Well, I hope you enjoyed doing this with your child. Until next time, craft on guys. Bye. Can you see me flying by your side?
We're back with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. Wrong camera. And uh, it's it's sort of a love theme this week yes. around here. Um, we had Alex Hale on earlier, Amazing. who's so inspirational. Autism Sings. He's an advocate for Autism Speaks. We urge you to look him up because I think we'll be hearing from more from this young man. Um, he has written, you know, just some incredible songs about his journey through autism and is very inspirational. And Shannon and I are meeting more and more of these young people who are changing the world for everyone on the spectrum. Um, but before the break, uh, we were talking about school. And believe it or not, February is the time that we need to be thinking about next year. Why does it always come up so quick? It does. And, and But now is a perfect time if you, and there are lots of different reasons why you might be looking at schools. Right. Your child might, it might Let's be a natural progression. Let's talk about our situations. And, yeah, and it might, it might be a natural progression a that they have to go from the school that they're into another because the right. grade doesn't exist right or it could be in my case I don't think that I have to be very careful what I say I don't think that enough is happening for my son at the in the school that he's in mm -hmm. that we got to bump up the game mm -hmm. and and get some things that are more reinforcing to him and that will push him yes um, because I think he's bored uh-huh um, so that's a reason to look and okay. you're, you're well, looking we, at different we have a situation uh, where um, we did put our son in a private placement uh, three years ago and we did it for the inclusion uh, with typical kids. Uh, we did have to provide for his aid um, and that we cobbled together a plan. Um, and then last year we had help through our insurance with his aid. Um, we should have like angels sing whenever we say when insurance pays no for kidding. something. Ah, there should be a button and it goes, I know. Whoa. But then as part of that piece, Shannon, you never know how long. Right. And you You're literally live. You're at the mercy. So you don't really know your future. Yeah. So because of that, we, of course, our original IEP was with the public district. So we did go back and attend an IEP and see what they were proposing. Right. Uh, so we had that on the table. We then went to look at a private, uh, we went to look at a school, a school that specializes in autism care and treatment to look at that placement. But once again, costs associated with that are extremely high yeah. unless you receive funding right and you, we've heard that our district will not fund that right so you've got these variables and you really don't know it's almost like throwing darts you kind of like we don't know which to pursue you want to do what's best but there are all these other factors that go into that the financial the, yeah. the where the school's located the commute you know, the support, what, all of those things. And it can be so overwhelming for us as parents. I know that that has been one of the biggest issues for us as a family has been the school placement. And I know that there are times that I look back and say, shoulda, woulda, coulda. Right. Uh, because I think that the placement might have been more preferable, but it was what it was. And, you know, I didn't know back then what I know now about what, what Wyatt's needs are. Well, so. and I, you know, you're being very generous, but I, and I know you, you need to be because you're in an ongoing situation yes. trying, where you're trying to figure things yes. out. But I will say, you know, that there are school districts out there who uh, want to park children. They do. And, and that they, they adhere so closely to that free appropriate public mm -hmm. education mm -hmm. and what they consider appropriate 
appropriate is to, and we talked about this uh, not too long ago with Dr. Grampache about schools will give up on children and, and they'll lower their expectations mm -hmm. to something that isn't appropriate. That right? was happening with Ale us. Alex was just talking about how people said to him, you're never going to go to college. You're, gonna you're never going to work house, a job. Sweeping floors. And that, and that he got... chose not to listen to them. And, yeah. and I will say this because I know that you won't, but you're in a school district where they will gleefully give up on your child and park him somewhere. And I want to say shame on them because that's inappropriate. Um, and if you're, if you are in a business of educating children, and let's be honest, that's what it is. It's a business, right? But it's a business to educate children. Who gave you the right to give up on any child? How dare you? And not on our watch. And you have, uh, you have amazing fortitude and have always looked and said, if, if it's not going to be something that's helpful, that you're going to find something else. And mm -hmm. that's, you, you are being very brave and saying, I'm going to do that. It takes gumption, but you are a woman who's got gumption, right? <laughs> um, I'm an overcomer, just like most of our parents. Are. Well, even, even Ed Asner said that to you, you've got gumption. <laughs> no, he said, I've got spunk. Spunk. That was, he put oh, his arms around you. me. Yeah. And I said, well, you just tell me I have spunk. And, and you do. Spunk girl. You reek of spunk. So. So, and so do you. So, well, yes, I, I did feel it was a situation because that's another thing that I want to point out that's important for parents. You may be told of you're getting a placement. And you may feel like, oh, well, this sounds like great inclusion here and da da da. There, you gotta go and look. You gotta go and check it out because it was only then that I saw that my son at his elementary school placement was out on the play yard with uh, one of the employee's daughters watching him, not interacting with the other children, and seeing that he was put in with kids that I think you used this term earlier with Dr. Grampache. Um, and this is not to belittle those children, but when your child's at a different level in a room of children that were, that, you know, had on helmets that were banging their heads against the wall, that wasn't appropriate placement. Right. So they, what might be convenient for your district is not what's best and appropriate for your child. Well, and I, and I'm just going to go back and say that I don't think that giving a, a child who has a self-injurious behavior of hitting their head, putting a helmet on them and then allowing them to do that, that's not an appropriate placement for anyone. No, it's not. Uh, it's unconscionable and it speaks volumes when you go to some place where, where they're allowing kids to do that. That tells so, me they don't know what they're doing. So we've both been in the situation where we feel like our children have been placed with children that were much lower functioning and were not beneficial to their development. And what did you do in that case? Uh, well, in, in that case, all those years ago, mm -hmm. I told them no. I said, we're not going to do that and we're going to take you to due process because I looked up appropriate in the dictionary and it says effective. Right. I don't know which dictionary they're looking in, uh, but appropriate equals effective to me. And I said to them, I, I have all these studies. And by the way, if you need them, I've got them for you and I will get <laughs> them for you. You can just write and request. I've got all these studies that show that intensive ABA will work. Right. Show me one study that that shows that the placement that you're talking about in the room with the helmets with the kids banging their head where you're sliding pretzels at them to get them to do stuff, show me one study that shows that that's effective. And of course they can't. There isn't a study that shows that. Right. And I said, I'll be happy to take you to due process. Yeah. And that's when they filed due process against me. Doesn't matter. Yeah. 
right? That's right. all water under the bridge because right. we got what we needed. Well, what we, what I did was I called an IEP mm -hmm. and I brought in their own assessments of my child, which at that point they had assessed him with the district, had assessed him with PDD NOS mm. uh, when he was clearly full on moderate to severe autism. But I said, what children are in this class that, you know, can you tell me their levels of assessments? Well, very low. And I said, well, your own assessment right here says my child isn't even autistic. So why would you put him in that class? So that kind of settled that and they put him back to where he was. So it all yeah. becomes about logic. In both cases, yes. it's about taking what they have said and saying, logically, how does this do what the law provides? And the law provides for a free, appropriate, read effective public education. Yeah. And, and the law is on our side. It does require energy. A lot of energy. And and you got to get your game face on. Mm -hmm. and, and you have to be able to be well-spoken in the heat of things and keep it calm. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, uh, you're not going to do a good job. Now, and that's not everybody's forte. Obviously, both of us know how to talk. Mm -hmm. We have done this before. <laughs> um, and if you so if that's not your forte, make sure that you have somebody go with you who it is like a, an advocate yes. or a lawyer or mm -hmm. a really good friend who will donate their time if you can't afford the other things, because a lot of people can't um, and and go in and let them know that you mean business. Yeah. And if you do, uh, you know, we, we want to tell you once again, if you have questions for, uh, for Shannon or myself about our own experiences uh, now that we have boys who, you know, are 12 and almost 11. Yeah. Um, and some of the, the battles we've had to fight, we're happy to share our journeys with you. Um, you know, in every parent's life, there's a lot of shoulda, woulda, couldas, but I am very, very quick when people come to me and they say, well, you know, I have a child that was just diagnosed, they're age two, you know, and I'm like, you were just given a huge gift. First of all, you got a diagnosis at age two, and right. here's what you need to do, right. in my opinion, and here's what has been really documented to work, and here's what worked for me. It may not work sp yeah. precisely for you, but you can always email us here, and we will give you, from our perspective, what we feel is the right path to we, go. We want to help you, but we, we recognize that every child is different, every family is different, every set of resources is different. So there is no one size fits all. Mm -mm. Uh, you know, we, we must reiterate that. But there is experience, strength, and hope, right? Right. And we're we're willing to participate in the experience, strength, and hope with you. I always say, si se puede, we can do this. And if we hold hands together, uh, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. No. That's what I was told early on. Somebody mm -hmm. already did this before you. Mm -hmm. Follow in the footsteps. It's back mm -hmm. to the footprints in the snow. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and we're following other people's footprints in the snow and if you want to come with us on this journey we're happy to have you along for right. the ride and and one other thing is never feel like that ship has sailed that's right. uh, doesn't matter where you are on your journey it, it doesn't matter where um, you you might compare yourself there's always going to be somebody that has a child that's doing better than yours and there's always going to be someone who has a child who's not doing as well as yours. That's right. Comparison can be the source of much suffering. Yeah. We have to walk our own path, our own journey, and remember not to compare to others. You know, we can look to others for advice. If you see somebody that you say, wow, their child's doing really well, I want to find out more doing? from them. But don't compare and say, what did I do wrong? We yeah. can't turn back the clock. We can only look forward. All we have is today. That's right. And and this reminds me that you really need to be checking out the, the whole series that Nancy has done on our YouTube page, Empowering Parents. I'm really, uh, I really enjoy doing that. 
that series we're looking at putting it into booklet form now yes so we'll let you know when that's available Absolutely. for you and it really is it's just really more um, inspiration and empowerment for parents because I feel that's so important to nourish ourselves it and is. replenish ourselves recently I read a book that made a lot of uh, impact on me and it's called breathe and uh, I'll have to bring the author's name Carrie Wyatt something but it's all about creating space in your like to breathe and how many times do we forget to breathe literally yeah yes absolutely and unfortunately as we're breathing we're out of time okay but I want to thank you for being here and thank all of you for being here with us I want to wish you a happy Valentine's happy Day Happy Valentine's Day, my love and friend tomorrow we'll be back with Dr. Adele Nadowski and Dr. Jonathan Tarbox and we're going to be talking about relationships and how to foster those kinds of things with our kids so okay. she promises to be really wonderful. wonderful so we'll be back at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time that's 1 p.m. Eastern Time until then please give your kids kiddos a hug from me and give yourselves a hug and your kiddos a kiss from me awesome <laughs> bye, bye bye for now